2: yo 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 welcome everybody to reasonable wrestling this is chris the most high and here me and ct are bringing to you um our interview we did with alex greenfield um you can follow him at alex d greenfield on twitter he's a writer editor producer for mlw so here it is
1: hey everybody, what's going on hey how's
2: it going boss it's
1: going good man
2: oh hold on let me find let me locate you this the button i gotta press oh no he has to press it okay yeah all right. Can you see
1: me? Oh, oh, do you take video? I didn't Okay, yeah. Normally, I do them. I, normally, I do them on uh, on uh, just audio only. You don't want to look at me, but uh, oh, there you course. go. Hey, man, what's
2: hey, going on? What's going? What's going on? Go I just just wanted to see for a little bit, man.
1: No, no, no. I understand. I'm I'm jealous of what you're smoking because I'm <laughs> like I'm hearing the People's Republic of Vermont and I'm dry as a bone. It's brutal.
3: <laughs> oh, thank you for doing this interview. Appreciate it.
1: No, no problem at all. No problem at all. Chris is Chris is my guy, man. On production days, he saves my ass all the time.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: he's he's the man. How you um? How you doing, man? How's your week? Uh,
1: really good. Like like uh, I put I put it up on my Facebook the other day. I've been broke as shit all summer long, and then I booked what well, didn't book, but got the money in from four different gigs this week. So I'm like, That's oh, awesome. thank God, I can buy groceries and pay my <laughs> money
2: That's incredible. Oh man, that's good. That's good, to, man. Um, what is um, what's the weather like,
1: dude? I oh. live in the coolest place on earth. The weather Ooh, is perfect. Wow,
2: that is that's a, a, a beautiful great view. view, Alex. Oh my god, right? That's
1: the yeah. I, so The cool thing is here. I'll show you the. Um, so I live at a condo complex at Mount, basically at the Mount Snow ski resort, right? But what that means is, while it's a little busy in the winter, let me show you the parking lot of the giant uh, uh, buildings that I live in.
2: Oh, so that's nothing but snow. No, no. no, 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 It's not
1: snow now. Right now, what it is, is it's an empty parking lot, because basically my wife and I, and um, there's like one other person who lives here full time. So it's sort of like you get to live at a resort, and for most of the summer and fall and spring, nobody's here. It's just... Like, whenever snow starts, you know, around Thanksgiving time mm-hmm. through – oh, my God, I don't even know. Through, um, like, March, beginning of March. Oh, it's ahead. real busy. Like, that parking lot is jam-packed and full. Mm-hmm. But this time of year, man, we live – it's almost like you're in The Shining. We live in a ghost town. That's <laughs> in
3: incredible. Park. Do you, like, walk the hills? Like, Because that's a beautiful view. Like, the, the, all the hills, you, you can go and just –
1: yep yep we 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 hike them all the time okay. um there's on the other side of that mountain that i was showing you there's this giant pond with like beavers in it and oh. like woodchucks walking around and stuff it's like you're living in the wilderness it's great like we'll go mountain biking up there i, it's found,
2: super. My, I found my new place to visit i know yeah um, yeah, yeah come how, on up come how on far up. is we it from um, civilization how far are you from like the city or whatnot oh, yeah, or I'm um good.
1: Oh, uh, that's, that's where it gets hairy. So when I fly down to do, like, the Florida trips or whatever, um, it's almost like driving to New York. It's, I'm, like, two hours from the closest airport. Like, oh, I live in the wow. middle of nowhere. Okay. Um, like, the closest big town. And by big town, I'm not even talking about, like, Orlando or, like, a town. Like... North Ham- or Brattleboro, Vermont, I guess, is the closest. And it's like half hour drive away. Like we got to go half-, half hour to go grocery shopping and stuff oh, like that. That's, oh, that's, what, I was
3: asking. that's yeah. what I was asking. I was like, I know places like that because I'm from Rockland County. And the more f- north you go in New York, the farther you get from like grocery stores, the farther you get from the malls, yep. it, it gets tough. You know, I was two hours away from the city. So, I mean, we, ha- we still had some things around us. But, you know, just to get work and doing things in the yeah. city was, was a hassle.
1: No, it was was a pain. We lived, uh, when we lived in New York, we lived in Larchmont down in Westchester. Oh, okay. Um, So we used to take vacations up there because Rockland is like where that, um, where the Storm King, the... um, the uh, like the big outdoor art exhibit is okay. so we would drive up that way pretty, that. pretty frequently and it, like, it's beautiful country up there but yeah, it's out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. there's
3: nothing around yeah, so I was in Stony Point, like the last town up in, in Rockin County and we were out, like everybody said you're living west, but i fuck, you are completely out of the city because uh, whenever I was working in the city, I had to take a bus two hours into the city to do film work, to do anything yeah. I want to do with people, yeah
1: Oh, or do you not have a Metro North line up that far
3: either? No, there's no, there's no train and there was only a bus and the bus came like every like hour. Oh, wow. It was Jeez. not, it was really, it was really tough to get into the actual city. So I actually have to move into Harlem so I can actually do things with film. It was a uh, really tough, so.
1: Yeah. yeah, oh, no, no, I, yeah. I believe it. I worked a, uh, a gig down in Harlem, like right right mm-hmm. a, right near 125th when uh, when I lived down there. And even then, like you have to take the train down to, I took the Metro North down to 125th and then the subway down like three stops. And that's still, that's a 45-minute commute like uh-huh. every day just yeah. to go just to get down there. And I yeah. wasn't that far away at all. Yeah,
3: just even in the city, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's traffic, it's crazy. And,
1: when did you, you go down to Florida?
3: I moved down to come to Full sale, but I didn't actually attend. I uh, started working with some other things down here, and I started doing some education, because I used to work with education in New York, so I work with education down here, and now I just left that job, and I'm working from sales right now. Um, nice. But um, I stopped, we're still doing a project, you know, web, a, a web series that we're trying to put together. Yeah, as nice. well, yeah, and as well as a podcast and other projects that we're trying to work on solely, independently. Yeah, we're, uh, we're um, we're um, we're aspiring writers, so
2: yeah. That's how. That's why I was I'm just, like, I'm
1: just heading inside because whatever that loud noise is is fucking brutal. <laughs> oh,
2: you hear it? Okay. Um. Yeah. So, um, we're aspiring writers. That's why I said. That's why I wanted to actually interview you because of um your right, like you write. You're a writer. You know what I mean. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain. Uh, sometimes yeah, we get of. we get into our like writer's block or we mm-hmm. kind of our direction. we're Forgot what we were trying oh, dude, to do. I
1: just got over like a 5 months writers block. Song. <laughs> yeah. Like all I was doing was the wrestling stuff and not mm-hmm. any writing and then all of these gigs came in and now I'm like, oh shit. I, I
0: have jobs to do. What's going on?
2: <laughs> okay, well uh let's go ahead and kick off the interview and um our first question is to you is how did you start writing? How does how did writing become your expressive art form that that you got into?
1: I'm uh like For a lot of people in my generation I'm 45, so sort of right in the middle Of Generation X uh, It started like I bet anyone you interview In my generation will talk to you about Star Wars Um, I saw it when I was It's one of my first Memories, so I was like four years old And uh, I just Like my memory kind of clicks In um, When Luke is staring into The twin sunsets in Tatooine And I was like like the emotional fucking power of that scene. I knew like right at the beginning that that's what I wanted to do with my Mm -hmm. life in some way. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a director or a writer or what the thing was, but I knew I wanted to make movies and I knew I wanted to make entertainment because just like the, the reaction that you felt in the room was just so stunning and powerful and amazing. Um, so I knew I was going to do something with it. And how did I gravitate to writing uh, as opposed to something else? I guess uh, um, my dad wrote a lot when I was growing up mm-hmm. and um, uh, I fell in love with Stephen King at a pretty early age. Okay. And
2: uh, I see you, you tweet go. a picture of that earlier. The- yeah, yeah, really yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 The thing I said to, to MJF. Yeah. Um, and, and he was like, what does this mean? Uh, <laughs> but um I don't know man I just uh, like of the disciplines like the sad truth is it comes kind of easy for me mm-hmm. <laughs> pardon me <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm I'm taking your smoke I don't know that, <laughs> um, I, it was pretty easy for me to to start sculpting in words I never had I tried I tried to take up music I fucking dropped out of high school mm-hmm. and played in rock bands for a few years and I wasn't very yeah. good at it um, I directed one project pretty early in my career and hated doing it <laughs> like it's funny that that's mostly what I do that's at what you a, do um, at,
2: ML, at MLW
1: at MLW but it's a different thing doing a feature i mean you guys know this working in the business mm-hmm. like when you when you are the director and you're in the big chair on a feature and like mine was pretty small but you know 45 people depending on your every decision i was like that's yeah, too much pressure. Tough, that. pressure let me write the scripts and pass this off to somebody else that's that's better and look i've been fucking lucky man i haven't worked a real job since 2004 like, like a job where you have to get up yeah. and go into an office and, and that's sort like, of that sort of Yeah, we're, we're trying like to <laughs> – Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what, that's what right? that's, we have.
3: We have – you know, the having that spirit of just not going to work and just creating something new is what we both have. And I see that, you know, that you haven't done that So like we're trying to
2: achieve trying that, to dream, that, that dream. We're yeah. trying to
1: emulate that, No, gum, gum. Because it's like <laughs> – no, when it's clicking, and look, I mean, you know, Chris knows from working with me, and and you know, we've all worked in the business. Like there are all of these stressful moments and all of that, but but when you're out of them and you take this little perspective, like what we get to do with our lives is we're fucking entertaining people. Mm-hmm. So like the stakes are car. like it seems crazy on the day, but the stakes are freaking low um, because what we're doing is we're bringing joy to people's lives. Like mm-hmm. even if we're writing as, you know, I like writing horror movies. It's sort of my home genre. That's, that's um, great. Cause that's
2: the next question. That was the next question. Yeah, that, what's your like, favorite oh, genre? I was about to ask, what's your favorite genre? So go ahead. Oh,
1: horror, horror, no hands down, no question at all. Because the immediacy, when you write a jumper and <laughs> a jump scare, um and you're sitting in an audience with people and you see them fucking scream um there's no better feeling in the world and and the immediacy of of um, the power that you have yeah. when you're scaring people is just how do you know
3: like writing Mark. a jump scare how do you know that's going to work like writing a jump scare cuz that's like it's so visual you know like how do you how can, how can you see it you can oh, see well, it in you your head have
0: a good
1: director is one thing uh-huh. oh god uh, like I feel all uh, eight from Stephen King is always it's it's sort of the how why how do you write what you write I, I don't know the guys in the attic just mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. like when it's working
0: and and like when writing's working for me it's better than getting
1: high it's better than uh, I, I've done a whole lot of drugs over the course yeah. of my life I
2: know what you and, mean and, yeah well, it, yeah I feel that way when I wrote actually when um, I'm doing this this fan fiction of Bray Wyatt and like <laughs> and uh but doing a deep dive into like connecting the dots and like connecting Kevin Sullivan with uh Black Jack Mulligan and having uh Dan Spivey turn be corrupted by Kevin Sullivan and be uh Waylon Mercy and then have yeah, yeah, Bray yeah. Wyatt be a prodigal son of a cult like it's really fun conducting and 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 translating that cause you're visually seeing it as you're writing
1: um yep it's It's, it's sort of there's that moment when you're really really into it right where you stop writing you know you gotta go take a piss or whatever and the real world seems less real than the world you are writing (laughs) best moment in the world so like how do you how do you make a jump scare that you know is gonna work Um, I don't know mechanically like I don't know it's not as though I'm thinking I need to put a jump scare here so that people will jump it's in this moment You're in this character's head and whatever the whatever the jumper is, you know, that shape in the mirror behind him or whatever, it's just that that feels organic. And that's the best part of writing to me is when you just know um, when it doesn't feel like you're writing, when it feels like you're being dictated to. Uh, by the characters in the story and by the world so it's almost like you're transcribing rather than creatively writing and i know like that's just a feeling right like yeah. it's it's all coming from your brain and your consciousness but when it doesn't feel like that's what's happening it's pretty goddamn great
2: <laughs> so, uh so you did say you was in a, a writer's block for about five months so outside of wrestling what what other ventures are you working on right now like uh what what, what do you what you got going
1: I have. I'm working on a project with my man uh, Spiff TV, who's a hip hop music yeah, video director. Yeah,
2: yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, I love hip hop, so I know Spiff. All, yeah, I watch yeah, Spiff stuff yeah, all the time.
1: A, Spiff's a great guy. This is the third project I've done with him. Really? And, uh, it's a uh, you, you 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 will appreciate this, Chris. It's a uh, it's a hip hop stoner comedy oh Um, that's
3: awesome (laughs) i'm tuning
1: it it's sort of old school cheech and chong style about this guy uh white guy runs this um like old school video arcade and uh, i guess i shouldn't like i shouldn't stooge it off too much but uh it's um uh what's what's the easiest way to say it's a fun it's a fun stoner comedy with a um keep
2: it kayfabe
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't go too
1: much. It's a, it's a K fit. It's it's a stoner comedy. Um, like we've got some really interesting. Spiff's got some really interesting talent coming in, and I'm kind of writing to them. Okay, uh, uh, and um, it's fun. Like it's a that's a muscle that I really. I mean, again, 45-year-old white dude. Uh, uh, it's a it's a voice that I and a muscle that I don't get to exercise a lot. But I feel like, you know, Spiff digs the fuck out of my work. And if Spiff digs it, uh, I feel like I must be on the right track. Yeah. All right, but that was good. he's really cool. Like, he's a really cool creative guy. He's going to be a big director. In 10 years everybody's going to know, uh, Carlos Suarez, like he's going to be, uh, he's going to be a major comedy director. So it's pretty cool being in on the ground floor with a guy like that. So I'm doing that one. I'm also, uh, working on a horror movie for, a for another set of producers. That's basically a, um, uh, there's some supernatural elements, but it, it's what amounts to a slasher movie. A bunch of people in the woods getting getting killed one by <laughs> one.
0: Um,
1: and, and, like, that's – it sounds like I'm saying that's lame, but they're super fun to write because I grew up loving those movies. How do you, and, like, how do I'm you more, capitalize... more liked about Halloween than anything else coming out right now. Yeah. I'm sorry.
3: No, no. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to ask, like, writing horror, I see that as such a difficult genre to write because – as we got has the culture has changed in the 80s we didn't you know things are now exposed so it's like it's hard to make people scared now you know nowadays it's so hard to so when i watch horror movies now i'm like i see very rarely do i see a really good one you know where i'm like that's it makes sense um i i can suspend disbelief and i can buy into their storyline so how do you tackle that when writing with horror because i i've never considered writing horror
1: It's it uh it's cell phones have fucking hurt the business that's for sure because because it's something you always have to wrestle with right Mm -hmm. like um we have such an instant communication culture Mm -hmm. um that you either have to oh you know you at least have to have the scene where the person looks at their phone and they're like oh oh I don't have signal whatever um it's tough now because audiences are very smart um they're used to the old bag of tricks but then. You know, you get stuff, you know, like we're in a wave of really good horror, like from Get Out to It Follows to Hereditary. Um, there's the, this whole group of new voices who took the work of the masters, Carpenter and Craven and uh, Toby Hooper and guys like that, mm. um, and are really taking it to um, taking all of those tropes and moving them to a new, new place. And uh, I steal from them all the time. I steal yeah. from Stephen King all the time. Exactly. And, you know, you flip those tropes around and, and, uh, um, I don't know, how do you scare people in, in, when it's a smart audience, you use their expectations against them. I mean, we deal with this in wrestling all the time, Absolutely. right? Like when you expect, uh, the baby face to do this, you, you zig or you zag, or sometimes you pay off exactly what the audience wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and And by doing that, uh, you give them a satisfying experience. But but scaring people is the most fun you can have uh, uh, in just about any genre I've worked in.
3: Speaking of wrestling, um, so you were writing for SmackDown, right? Yep. All right. So how was like how was that experience writing for SmackDown?
1: Started out awesome and ended up uh, 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 ended ended up. Um, you know, Vince McMahon and I didn't get along. <laughs> so for Vince McMahon, we got in a lot of shouting matches. Okay, uh, because our creative, um, our creative visions, I guess, uh, were very different on a number of the things we were, we were doing like my, my two main champions were Rey Mysterio and, and King Booker. Okay. And, um, particularly mm-hmm. in Ray's run, uh, Vince and I just had very, very different interpretations of what we wanted to do. So it got to be, like we were, we would get in shouting matches every day. What like, do you guys want to do? Bruce, Bruce can tell you stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, Bruce will tell you stories <laughs> next time you're at uh, you're you're at on um, uh, taping about me and Vince just like in each other's faces, red faced yelling and screaming at each other. Um, part of that was my immaturity. Like it mm-hmm. was my first big job in the business, you know, and uh, I thought I knew everything. And uh, didn't Uh, still don't know everything like that's a big realization. But um, I mean, it was a great experience in the sense of I mean, you see, like I made more friends in that period of my career uh, that I still have and still work with, you know, court for one uh, court was my right hand. You know, I'm his right hand man. Now he was my right hand man back in the day. Then Um, the skills I gained there have carried forward. Through my whole career, like I've, I've worked in mixed martial arts and pro wrestling and combat sports as a whole for more than a decade now, solely based off the two years I worked at WWE, um, and I have, you know, some of the best relationships and friendships of my life. Oh gosh, okay, you're better. Okay, you where better. should I? Do you want to rewrap? Where should I start?
2: Um, you you were saying um the um the relationships you built. Uh, oh yeah, I
1: relationships I built at WWE, relationships uh, that I've carried forward. Like it was a totally positive experience that I would recommend to everybody. But at, uh, by the time I left, uh, uh, I by the time I gave my notice, mm-hmm. I was fucking ready to get my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many and people book, are I have an easy too because to I booked a movie. Uh, I booked a script writing gig. Um, in August And turned in my uh, Turned in my notice in September Because I was leaving mm. with a safety net So yeah. it worked out uh, pretty good for me
2: Well how was how it collaborating How many pe- how many people are in the room when it, in, in that process In that process for wrestling And how does that compare to you writing uh, For television and movies Like how is the collaborative effort And collaborative writing different from wrestling Than any other uh, Than other uh, fields that you've worked in
1: uh, very different, like especially having come in as, um, especially having come into WWE out of a television background, okay, okay. like the way it operates is totally different, man. Um, but but I had a I had a really good team. Like I started out, I was working under David Lagana, who's currently he and Billy Corgan run the NWA. Okay. Uh, who's a real sharp creative mind. Um, uh, you know, I had court on my team. I had, uh, our assistant was a guy named John Carl. Um, who's, uh, who now like is a, is a big muckety muck in the video game world. Like, um, who has Andrew Goldstein who worked yeah, with us yeah. he was on, he was on team Raw. Like our team during that period, like a bunch of us have shows on the air of one kind or another, okay. either in wrestling or in or in other and other things. So it was like it was a tumultuous time, but it was a real talented team of people. But in terms of the process itself, like typically what happened, you know, when I was working under Dave is we all came with him for for we all came to him with our pitches for the week. Um, he'd pick which ones and, and in what way we were going to move forward. Uh, after I was there before too long, I was writing the scripts of the show. Sort of, it was Dave's vision, but I was I was mm-hmm. the one writing them. And then Dave moved over to ECW, and I got promoted to head writer. Oh, and cool. um, then I had to be the one who was butting heads with Vince instead. Of
3: <laughs> how is it working for Vince? Like, was I mean, how plus. is his personality? Like, you know, working with him like personally, how is he?
1: Uh, Vince.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Shrewd, intelligent, dismissive, a total asshole, and a creative genius. Like <laughs> all of his things simultaneously being true, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um uh, he's he's a, he to me he was a man of great contradictions because yeah. some of the the best creative lessons of my life I learned from Vince and some of the worst habits in terms especially of of uh personnel management and how to get okay. the best out of people. Some of the worst lessons I ever, I ever saw were from Vince. I mean, I guess they were ultimately good lessons because uh, I don't, I don't conduct myself that way with the people who work under me. At least yeah. I, Chris will tell you better than I will, yeah. uh, but I don't think
0: I do anyway.
1: No, no,
2: no. Yeah. yeah. Working, working under you. That's why I'll, I'll try to get to wherever we're at. You know what I mean? I'll probably find my way in New York on the fourth. Um, but, um, is is working in the business like it's a? I see how stressful it is. Like you know, we just did the show War Games um, that's going to be on YouTube tonight, six o five. Nice play,
1: 6.05 there. p.m. <laughs> the, yeah. but, the superstation, the new super, the new superstation
3: on YouTube.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> YouTube is, is that super is the new superstation,
1: superstation, like for real yep. uh,
2: today. Um, um, how is it writing for MLW? What is is the process? I know the business is different. Court and Vince are definitely kind of different, uh, but tendencies may be the same of how things are wanted to be done. How is it writing now, from then to now, for wrestling?
1: Uh, I I fucking love it. And like at MLW, I I love it. Um, part of that is uh, Court Trust me more. Okay. You know, Vince did. So it's it's uh, it's a much there's a a lot fewer fights Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that you know and and this isn't talking out of school at all court and i it's not that we agree on on every angle or or whatever but um ultimately this is this is court's vision that i'm executing okay but we're creatively in sync enough because it's not as though we didn't work together during the during, you know, from two thousand seven to to last year when we okay. started MLW again, Court and I worked together on half a dozen projects over wow. over that period of cool. time. Like we just have a real good creative colloquy between each other. Um I, and and we I feel like we mitigate our our we mitigate each other's worst. Like, did you guys watch Glow this year? Yeah, uh, I, I watched, watched it year. year. I didn't yeah, see it
3: this year. I, I saw I, season
2: one. I saw I saw a little bit of season two. Yes,
1: it, and the tenth episode of season two is the first time they do the show within a show. So the okay. presentation of that particular episode is as though you are watching an episode of Glow. Um, That's what like left to my own devices. That's what an Alex Greenfield wrestling show would would look like (laughs) like seventy, eighty percent vignettes Uh and one or two matches. Like I'm much more interested. And I mean, Chris sees it. You know, when I'm working, like when I'm out there with Selena and Key or Max and uh, Aria or you know Jimmy, Jimmy Havoc, like that. I love. Like I would, I would just be making short films all the time.
2: Oh, speaking of that, we still have that uh, Darby and uh, Priscilla.
1: I know. I got to get you all of that just to cut it together. We, dude, we shot this. So Darby Allen and Priscilla Kelly, uh, two of our wrestlers, were getting married. They were engaged to be married. Um, And we decided to do the Red Wedding, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, a riff on Game of Thrones with Jimmy Huckabee. Yeah, okay.
3: I'm thinking of uh, Kill Bill, but I saw deal yeah, drop. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah,
1: same type of deal. Yeah. And we shot this fucking just wonderful footage, and it ended up just due to contractual concerns or whatever, they ended up not working with us okay. anymore. Okay. And I keep threatening to to send all the footage to Chris just so he can cut it together. <laughs> but um, um, I got to remember, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll upload all that shit That'd sometime awesome. this weekend. But um, uh, such a great bit, dude. It was so cool. And uh, we never got to air it. It's such a bummer. Oh, like, that's the worst part. Like, when, um, uh, when you get really invested in a talent and they end up leaving. Oh, that's, but that's true.
3: But it's cool that you can be uh, and bring your horror um, vernacular and, and style to a wrestling avenue in a certain way. And touch on your, the, the same tropes and bring, it, and bring it to a new genre and change it. You know, it's, it's melding two worlds.
1: You know, For sure, it's one of the things I love most. I was talking to Key about this. Um, I think you might have been there, Chris. Like I, I was talking to, to one of our one of our wrestlers, Low Key. Um, the coolest thing about being a filmmaker uh, in wrestling is there's no genre we can't touch. Like yeah. with Key, what what we're doing by intentionally is we're doing early 90s John Woo movies. Like that's the storytelling we're doing there with Jimmy and those sort of dark supernatural characters. I'm making little horror movies. Um, All of a sudden we lucked into a couple of our characters just have great on-screen chemistry. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm thinking of Key and Selena here. We've got fucking romance angles that we're we're sort of touching on. Like it's so fun um, because, and yeah, they're in two minute, three minute, four minute chunks. Um, but you're making these little beautiful three act plays, uh, with these extremely, like we have such a talented group of like with Shane, um, that first six months with Shane, I was doing a superhero origin story. Shane Strickland, one of our wrestlers, yeah. like, like there's Nothing you can't do in the genre, I guess, of pro wrestling. And it's really, uh, I tweeted yesterday while while, uh, while we were watching War Games, like, I fucking love working in pro wrestling because mm-hmm. there's nothing you can't do, budget limitations <laughs> aside.
3: Yeah. It's like you're relating things on a wrestling scale to things people have previously seen because people watch yeah. TV, they watch movies, and when they see that and they relate to it, they connect immediately. Yep. That's how I see it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely I agree, yeah. and I think one of one of the ways you connect with an audience is look. Not everybody's going to like a horror movie. Sure. Uh, four minutes later, you're going to be in that John Woo movie. Four minutes after that, you're going to be in a real, you know, with Tom, with Lawler, like a real good sports, fucking hard driving mixed martial arts presentation. Like, over the course of one of our shows, like the one airing tonight's a little funny because it's 90% a match. Like, I think acts two, three, four, and five are all uh, a wrestling match. It was just a very long
2: match. A long match, yes. Um,
1: but most weeks, <laughs> uh, you go one act to another. You're going from one genre to another. Like, there's something for everyone. And that's what's fun about it. I mean, that is a Vince lesson uh, that Court and, and I both took. This is a variety, a new school variety show. Okay. And you give uh, a little something to everyone. Like, I am not a great comedy director. We got Rob Carpalis though, uh, who's really good at fucking nailing punchlines. Um, Mm -hmm. We got, uh, you know, Sean O'Hare, one of our producers, um, worked in mixed martial arts for years. He knows that gritty sports presentation, you know, like we've got a really cool, diverse team of creative artists uh, who who can knock out anything. And I'm sort of on creative stuff I'm kind of underneath court but near the top of the pyramid in terms of figuring out who does what like I feel like there's nothing we can't do that I don't have somebody on my team who I can say go and uh, uh, go and direct this bit and that it won't come back looking awesome
2: yeah we we, we experienced that a lot when uh, you just grab a cameraman you grab a a PA and then you just go with your talent Mm -hmm. and put it together like I, first hand watching it i that that's what that's another question I was gonna ask um so you're writing you're producing and then you also uh basically edit when you uh catalog the footage you do that for a, how like that has to consume you like how, how- does that all work in this in in the what the
1: balancing time is mm-hmm. uh <laughs> balancing time is a fucking problem um <laughs> Oh, God. So my so like taking it from on the day. So when we get to whether it's Florida or New York or whatever, um, we have a list of of we have what we call a grid, which is what the next block of episodes is going to look like. Sort of working backwards from the next month's event. uh, What happens week one? What's our main event? Sort of that that type of layout. Um, which always ends up changing because one match works, another match doesn't, you know, it always changes. But we have a pretty clear idea of what we need. So we get into pre-tape day and, and fucking Chris is having to find my form that I leave everywhere, my checklist. Um, uh, he comes up and he's like, here's your clipboard. You left it. God, <laughs> even knows where it's small, as somewhere. Um, but uh, so we have a full list that – Court, me, Sean O'Hare, uh uh, and the rest of the creative team have all put together that are all of the various out-of-ring elements that we need for the next block of shows. Okay. Um, and then it really is, you know, we divvy them up based on skill set and uh availability and and that sort of thing. And we we go off and we shoot them and uh we Knock them out of the park. Like, this was a really good taping session. How do you
3: find locations?
1: Um, lots mostly in and around fucking hotels or beg, borrow, and stealing from people we know in the area.
3: I talked to Chris and he told me about the places you find, like the bowler room that you guys would do, MVP and Sammy Callahan in the hotel. Like, how do you guys actually manage (laughs) the (laughs) hotel to let you guys do that? That's like, (laughs) that boggled my mind because I find, I I try to find locations with my projects and I just have a hard time doing it.
1: It's, I am. A charming motherfucker.
3: <laughs> it's one of my biggest <laughs> things I learned from Alex.
1: My, uh, who will lie, beg, borrow, steal. Uh, I need to
3: uh, learn so that. Some, you guys are so good at that. I can't, I guess it's a new skill. Some,
1: sometimes it, sometimes we go straight gorilla. Like we don't okay. ask anyone. But easy mm-hmm. easier. easy. That's to, uh,
3: I always just try to just gorilla. It. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, some, sometimes we go straight gorilla. A lot of times I can, I can say, you know, all candor and honesty, oh, we'll put you over on the TV show. Like I'll gild the lily, like we're the biggest thing in the world. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, with hotels, it's usually easy uh, because we rent a ballroom uh, okay. to do our shooting. And that's where we set up our standing set for interviews and okay. stuff like that. Um, and then I'll grab a cameraman and uh, we'll go somewhere. And it's not that we necessarily have gotten the permission to shoot in the (laughs) stairwell or on the roof or (laughs) any crazy, you know, stuff we do on the elevators while people are getting (laughs) on and and off. But, you know, where's some wood to knock on? Um, You know, uh, uh, I don't know. Half of it's charm, half of it's.
3: It comes um, off great, though. When I watch it, I'm like, you can't tell any like uh, where you are. And it looks legit. It looks like it's. It looks like you guys do have an arena. Sometimes you know that it's yeah. like all right. They have their own arena. This is backstage. It looks great. Yeah, because we yep.
2: so on our on our podcast, uh, our podcast is called Reasonable Wrestling. So we we'll watch Raw and we'll watch the, product, the the current product, and we figure out our best produced, worst produced, best written, worst written. And one time, like we literally saw Bobby Roo in a broom closet because it was a broom behind yeah. him. And he was like, oh, that is so badly produced. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm like MLW never. Has brooms in there, and I'm like, you know, I mean? yeah. so it's you know,
3: producing. See,
2: so
1: is... you're jinxing us now. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Court, court's gonna be like, God damn it! What are all these brooms
2: doing? <laughs> <here?"> <laughs> uh, as far as writing, though, how how does um how is that process as far as blocking out blocking out time? Um, as far as like a storyline, um, like the arc of Shane. I remember the first six months of Shane Strickland. Um, how 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 do you come to that ending to then work backwards um, as far as building that super that super um, Hero persona. Su- superhero persona f- for that character?
1: Oh God, uh, a, a lot of a lot of uh, so at the beginning, total happy accident, right? Like I didn't know Shane. Like I knew his work, I'd seen I'd seen matches, but I didn't know him at all before the first time we worked together, mm-hmm. um, and. Like, it sounds a lot like playing favorites, and I guess sort of from a from a certain perspective it is, right? Like, I was just like, oh, shit, um, supervillain Jimmy Havoc and superhero Shane Strickland is a story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it's the same answer that I gave earlier. I don't know how you come up with ideas, but that just, like, immediately <laughs> – I think one of the first times Chris and I talked, I was like, this guy's a fucking superhero, right? <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully I can cuss. Um, oh, yeah. They they can. Can, yeah, free <laughs> for him. <laughs> um, but, uh, in terms of how that story was told, um, I didn't really have an end point like every month, you know, every, every month between tapings, you know, court and I would shoot the shit about, uh, what we wanted to do next time. And then we would do the pre tapes that, that fit to that. So I never really had an end point, um, in mind, I, I guess Defeat like my big thing was I want to build up Jimmy Havoc into this thing that Shane can't defeat so that when he finally defeats him, um, he's ready to become the world heavyweight okay. champion. And I feel like it played like gangbusters. Okay. Like, I feel like, I feel like, like when Shane beat Matt Riddle, um, he earned every yeah, bit of that yeah. victory, yeah. He because you know,
2: I think he, he lost to Jimmy. A few times, like in a hardcore match, in a tag match with uh, Hennigan as his partner when Darby jumped off the, the, yes, that was fantastic. We never got to air that, did we? Oh well, I
1: mean, it aired on our VOD, you know, because we weren't on TV yet. We started. I love it. We started. Our first day of the show was 4:20. That's when we (laughs) premiered. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I got. Uh, I'll never. I'll never let that go. It's (laughs) the best thing in the world. Uh, A bunch of people were like, "Did you plan this, Alex?" I'm like, "I had nothing to do with (laughs) it, but I approve wholeheartedly." Um, But uh, no, no, no. So a lot of that story, because the cool thing about the way Court did it is we really. Oh, we worked out a lot of the kinks in the production and storytelling process during that period. I mean, there are things that were a bummer. Like I wish I loved that Santana um, Priscilla program, yes. and yeah. never never got to finish it. That's my biggest. Uh, that's my biggest bummer. Um, but like once we started on TV, it's really arcing out like I so we have these grids. When I get back, um, the first thing that I do is I go through all our footage and I basically I'm just the footage longer. I'm acting like an assistant editor. Right. Um, just so that we have a roadmap map of everything that that was shot. Um, and then using the grids, um, I do a first draft of the show, send it to Court and some other guys on the team for their notes. Uh, and then I, I, I do the final draft of the show and, and work with Sean And Sean O'Hare, who's one of our producers, the co-exec producer, and uh, Leo Artaho, who is our wonderful fucking maestro of an editor. He's based out in California. And, um, and then we just do the episodes one at a time. And the whole purpose of like all of the stuff that we shoot on the on the crazy production days um, is we're telling these stories. You know, the one thing about wrestling is we know the ending of every story is going to end in the ring, but beyond that, mm-hmm. um, we we get to it's it, you know what it's most analogous to to me is telenovela, uh, okay. the sort of so Latin trappers. style dramas, yeah. yeah. Um, where I'm waving goodbye, goodbye, wife. she's like i've had enough of listening to your bullshit (laughs) (laughs) she's like i've got to go to work (laughs)
3: she's
1: out she's like i'm done with this um bye love you um sorry no 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 so so we you know there's a little piece here like like in this week's episode there is a um there's just this little pre-tape. It's the one we shot in the hall with Key and Selena come in, and there are all these reporters. Oh yes, and then, yes, yes. You know, in a way, they they rub up with a certain other talent who low-key has never fought before. Right. You know, you drop these little breadcrumbs yeah. along, the path, and then they build and they snowball and they become an avalanche, and then you get to the to the meat of the story. Uh, what's What's fun about every week's TV is. You're at different points in all of these different stories. Um, so we're near the end of, of the story of, of Shane Strickland and Sammy Callahan. We're coming up to War Games. We're at the, we're at the final act of this. But even as we're coming to this final act, we're dropping all these breadcrumbs to start all of these other stories. So it's just, it's always a juggling act of, of where you are in the different tales, and that's why I try and arc them out in advance so that I yeah. know at least for the next month. And it's hard, you know, just given the realities of indie wrestling, it's hard to know beyond two months or so, yeah. uh, like what each story beat is going to be. But I try to give representations, you know, to the top to the to the main stories in every episode, and then smaller stories like uh, like Jason Cade and Jimmy Yuda. Yeah. Okay. Pop in one beat here and then a couple of weeks later another beat here and then one interferes in another guy's match. So you keep these things – you keep some things on a simmer to use a cooking metaphor Mm -hmm. and some things you bring all the way up to that big, big. Boil where it's all boiling yeah. over, and some things you're just dropping in a little spice here and a little spice there, just to um, just to intrigue the audience because yeah. they'll let you know if they want to see something. Like yeah. I, I have a suspicion after six hundred five tonight, a lot of people are going to be making a certain request, uh, and that's good because okay. I've, I've stoked their uh, I've stoked their fire a little bit.
2: I think that's that's one of my one of my um, my peak. I know the, the, my, my peak in life is very low, but one of my peaks <laughs> is to to be a creative to, to tell those stories. like everybody has these you know armchair bookings and whatnot. but like I really am intrigued with telling a story when it comes to these characters, because you, you can, you, like you said, you, you can be so diverse with them, you know mm-hmm. Absolutely. and, and um, to see that to, to see that actually take place. Um, It's really good. It's
3: it's fun to see it's, and to be a part of. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still a business. It's you still know? a business. And I was wondering, how do you how do you oh, ba- oh, hello? Yeah, you hear me? No,
1: no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm I froze for two seconds.
3: Oh yeah, I was just saying at the end of the day, it's still a business. So I was wondering, how do you balance the business? Because you said like you have indie stars who you may or may not be there, and then you have uh, things that you're trying to push certain people as well as your own creative vision. So when they clash, sometimes they don't meet in the same space. Like, I would that love to true. do this, but I really can't do this right now with the way the business is right now. So, like, how do you manage that balance?
1: Um, Again, it's sort of half of it's playing favorites and half of it's business realities, right? Mm-hmm. You will uh, – and Chris certainly knows. Like, I greedily um, – very greedily keep my own talent. And it's not that they're mine in any real sense, but it's the people I like working with uh, who I also know are going to be there uh, long enough for me to tell the more big, complicated stories. Um, And, you know, sometimes we just put on matches Uh, which, you know, we're, we're ostensibly a fighting league, right? So, so just having a good fight is, is its own reward. Um, and those people don't necessarily get as many, as much storyline stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I try to be as careful as I can that if I'm making a major creative investment, um, with my mind into something that I'll be able to pay it off. And, Thus far, that's worked out pretty well, like with Havoc and Shane and Key and Selena and like my core group of, of interesting characters. Um, it's pretty damn fun. Um, I I know the people who will be around long enough for me to, uh, to, to make the kind of investment to tell a long term story. And sometimes short stories are fine. I, I mean, it's, you know, go back to Stephen King, right? There's yeah. The Stand, which is... A monster twelve hundred page book, and then there's Night shift, which is a bunch of short stories, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen pages long. some sometimes, and sometimes you learn, like remember, you know, Codo, Brazil was a walk on for us. Okay. They, there's an old thing in wrestling that you always bring your gear in your bag. That's where Kodo started with us. And what started off as a walk-on has become a year-long story that I anticipate being a much longer story of this guy really coming to the board and really getting over uh, because he's just – He's he's a remarkable – he's the best underdog in wrestling for my money right now. Uh-huh. And um, he gets better every time and he gets more comfortable in the camera and in front of the camera every time um, and, and is becoming a better and better wrestler. Um, and there's – that's a long-term story that we're in already and it sort of took all of us by surprise that he just – I mean you – like – at Battle Riot, when he came out, like he's not very well known uh, um, either as Goto or as Snoop on in New York. Man, you know people are watching and that they care because that audience blew up when he walked through the curtain, and that's like one of the most gratifying experiences to, of this run in MLW. So for me. Okay,
2: okay, and, and also he had a good performance at War Games, so he was showcasing. He won
1: the match. Show, like he was there to win that match. It was great. It was a huge moment. Can't wait to see
3: it. <laughs> uh,
2: so um so when so basically when when you are in this element, the sacrifice between art and business, you kind of already go into it knowing that, that that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, but I mean that's true in filmmaking too. I mean, Lord knows, uh uh I've had Man, I've been I've I've been close to the big brass ring, right? You know, you talk about the brass ring. I had a series set up at Fox that didn't end up going. Oh. Uh, I had a big movie at New Line that was uh, this close to getting set up, and then they fired the head of the company, oh, and man. everything just fell apart. Like, you know, it's this business. Uh, uh, um, it, this business, Murphy's lot, is like Murphy's super lot. <laughs> uh, Murphy's super
3: it really lot. is. <laughs> uh,
1: because if it can go wrong, it will. But boy, when it goes right, there's no better business to be in in the mm-hmm. world. But, you know, there's things you can't plan for. Like, especially in wrestling, there are injuries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a certain company that can come calling and make your talent disappear, mm-hmm. disappear on the quick. And you can't even get mad at them because the level of, of difference in money, um, uh, WWE sure did take
0: real good care of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's, that's just a reality of the business, but it's a reality in, in narrative television. It's a reality, a reality in reality television. It's a reality in film, um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, you can have the best idea in the world for one of your projects, uh, and you don't get anywhere finding the location you need and it doesn't end up looking as good as you hoped mm-hmm. it were or that you'd see it in your head. Um, I mean, that's, I feel like that's just a reality of working in the entertainment business, not just in wrestling exclusively. Absolutely.
2: So what advice, uh, this is our last question. We'll kind of get you out of here. What advice would you give to like young creators right now? Um, that's pinning things thats trying to get through trying to have trying to see their vision through um what what advice do you have for pretty much me <laughs> <laughs> anybody
1: get get out and shoot stuff like that really like my first last and always um it's uh and look i i will not dog fan fiction in the sense that um uh, like one of the when i first moved out to la in 1998 um i I got a job with a company uh, and the only writing I did for probably three years was writing coverage. That is reading screenplays and basically writing book reports on them. I didn't do any creative writing at all. And uh, when X-Men came out, I was super duper fucking into it. And I wrote this X-Men Hellraiser crossover
0: Oh uh,
1: um, (laughs) that broke the logjam like like it was incredibly valuable to me. Uh, Like, I I don't piss on it at all, but that shit's never going to get made. Um, Write a short, shoot it. Write another short, shoot that. Like, you're building relationships with a bunch of talent who live in your area. Fucking hit up talent and say, hey, I'm shooting this short. Uh, It'll be a one-day shoot. I'll buy you pizza. I'll Mm -hmm. buy you beer. Uh, Come be in my movie. Um, Take advantage of every single thing you can take advantage of. Um, To get your stuff out there because there's – we have a wheat from chaff problem in the sense of anybody can put anything up on YouTube. But the bonus of that is anybody can put anything up on YouTube. Back when I was in college, there was no market for my short films that I made in school. Like it didn't exist. If you didn't get into Sundance or – God, I don't even know if South by Southwest had started at that point. Maybe it had. I don't know. Mm. But like if you didn't get into two or three festivals, no one was ever going to see your shit. Um, You have the opportunity now through Vimeo and YouTube and all of these places. A short film is not going to make you rich. But how many stories have we seen about a filmmaker who goes and makes a really good short and that shit blows up? And um, it's this great woman named uh, a director out of Kansas City named jill and i'm gonna butcher her last name i think it's Gevar like it's a uh a difficult to pronounce last name jill jill, jill g mm-hmm. but she did this wonderful short film called the stylist okay. uh, a horror movie of uh, the seven ten minutes long something like that just wonderful and her career is starting to blow up like that's I I feel like if you want to step into that world, I mean, it's what Spiff's doing too. Uh, like Spiff's music videos are are
2: short films.
1: Are short films. Yeah, they're short like, films. They're such a cinematic yes. eye for everything he does, and um, like that's that's how you that's how you break in now. And I believe me, I'm a I the, dude. I wish I was twenty years younger for a
0: whole lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, 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 The hairline being the (laughs) foremost among them. But um, I wish I was 25 years old right now because equipment – high-quality equipment has never been less expensive. Like barriers of entry have never been lower. And if you're a talented filmmaker, just a raw talented filmmaker, getting out there and writing and directing shit – um, that's how you're going to end up writing your ticket. Like, mm-hmm. it's – I I feel like film school has never been less valuable, um, only in the sense of – like, it's great that you have access to all of this equipment, but nowadays, the equipment itself isn't that expensive. Um, you save up for a few weeks, you get a fucking 4-CCD camera, you're shooting full 1080. Like, and, you don't need to shoot. And you can
3: cat. rent, too. And you can rent, rent too, yeah. yeah. So – yeah, that's, yeah. Why we, that's why we stopped going to Full Soul. He stopped, and I yeah, didn't I go. Yeah, I stopped going to Full Soul. And yeah. I didn't go at all. So I, I think that you're right. I think that the avenue for filmmakers right now is really just being a creator and getting out there and just saying, you know what? Do it. You know, And that's why yeah. we're trying to just get out there, write our web series, and just do it. Uh, that day when we shot our first episode, I was so elated. Because uh, it's, it's been a while since I filmed uh, something I wrote. So yeah. um it's, a, it's it's a it's a great feeling even when you know that hey it's, this is a passion project that may not go anywhere it, it may it may not but at the same time as a creator you got to push yourself to yeah. um, cuz you can push, be you can be stuck on the script
1: memory. be your own worst critic yeah. but, but never stop working like yeah. it's all about the work it's all about cuz eventually uh like for me it happened in 2004 but eventually you're not doing the day job anymore Um, and you're just, and there are those months and they still happen to me now. There are those months where you're like, oh my God, I got more bills than I got coming in. Um, but ultimately like it's easy and I had the dreams just like anybody else of the walking the red carpets and the Oscar acceptance and all of that. And I'd still love all of that shit to happen. Obviously, um, I wouldn't turn it down, but you know what? I get to make a living entertaining people and doing pretty much what I want to do. And that's like that's a pretty awesome place to be, you know. It's
3: The dream, living that's the, dream. the dream. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. if It's living the best life. I don't know if it quite qualifies <laughs> for that meme, but it is. It is living the it dream is. of ninety percent of the work I do is sitting on my couch, uh, daydreaming and getting paid for it. And that's a pretty good place to be. And I think the I think the best way to get there now is to get your vision out there because. There's there's 330 million people in this country, and somebody's vision, somebody's going to be taken with your vision. Uh, and hopefully, it's eventually, it's somebody who can cut you a check.
3: You know, it's funny. You said you, um, you get paid to daydream. In, uh, in elementary school, uh, they would call my mom and call my dad and say, your son is daydreaming. I'll get in trouble for daydreaming.
0: <laughs> you know? So to think that
3: you can get paid for daydreaming is just – it literally is like – a fantasy for me you
0: know I, I got this thing dude if I had a
1: dollar for every time someone said you're not fulfilling your potential Um, I would be very wealthy right now because I think pretty much every, you know, I was a DNF student in, in high school. I dropped out two weeks after my 16th birthday. Um, um, I was a miserable student and I ended up, I ended up going to college and did pretty well because it was on my time and on my terms. Mm -hmm. Um, there are people who fit into the system and those who don't. And I feel like creative people more often than not don't fit into the sort of systematized box uh, that society wants to put you in.
2: Man, Alex, we thank you so much. We took up an hour of your time, but it was a fantastic interview. Absolutely. Um, we're it. gonna um, we're gonna chop this up and edit it, and uh, we'll probably post it on our at the end of our episode on Thursday. So uh, I'll tag you. Right. On a... Definitely,
1: definitely hit me up, and I'll tweet it. And uh, well, I'll tweet it. There's nothing really much else I can. Yeah, do, that's all we need.
2: That's all we need. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Alice. And um, hey, um, thank you, thank you again for um, also bringing me on. Uh, I had a fantastic time at Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it was a great experience and, uh, always going to bat for me. That's, that's definitely big for me, for someone. This is, I've been here.
1: Like, like the thing is, I am a selfish sociopath of a human (laughs) being. And if I didn't take a huge amount of value for all the work you do for us, I wouldn't be doing it. Like, (laughs) like you make my life so much easier and you pick it up quick dude like uh uh it's it's totally i put you over because it's totally selfish because it helps me and
0: that,
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks man thank you thank you man oh
1: yeah absolutely take, take care guys yes, enjoy the rest it. of your day right on all bye right
2: bye bye and there you have it folks uh our interview we just had with alex greenfield writer and producer and editor for mlw Major League Wrestling. Make sure you guys uh, check out them and subscribe on YouTube every 6.05 Saturday night. If you can't catch them Friday night on BN Sports, it's on YouTube, MLW, Major
0: League Wrestling.